morning. Welcome to everyone in the room again, and particularly you at home as well, whether you're on your own or whether you've now started. You've got other people in your home. You've got people meeting in groups because we're starting to encourage people to do that in the guidelines. It's great to have you. Uh, when I was at university, something dramatic happened to me. Um, I was a Christian at the time. Uh, and I was living, I had kind of two worlds. I had my Christian world with my Christian friends and my church and stuff like that. And then I had my other world, which was my clubbing world and all of that. And, and what was happening was I was living two different lives. And one day, uh, God spoke into that in quite a dramatic way for me. Because I was living in these two worlds, but actually I would, those two worlds were very separate and so when I was in my clubbing world, I really wasn't a Christian. Uh, and when I was in my Christian world, I really wasn't into clubbing and so on. Uh, and God broke me. Uh, I can very vividly remember it. I became aware of my self-centeredness and how it was all about me. Uh, and I also, at that same moment, became aware of his overwhelming grace. That actually the heart of Christianity was not about doing good things but actually it was being overwhelmed with the grace that he extends to us. And from that day on, uh, I remember saying to God, God, I want my whole life to be for you. Whatever it looks like, wherever it takes me, God, I'm all in with you. I became aware of his fatherly embrace, and I became aware of his spirit empowering me, giving me new gifts. It was a sense of freedom and joy. But the key thing I remember is really wanting my life to count for something. And I guess for many of us, we've got a similar story where at some point we've thought to ourselves, I want to make a difference. I want my time here on earth to have an impact. And as life goes by, responsibilities come in, a few more pounds, a little bit less clubbing. Uh, to be honest, nobody really wants to see that these days, I'm sure. But deep down, the passion hasn't changed. I still want my life to count. And I guess if we are a follower of Jesus, we have God's spirit in us. Something wells up within us from time to time where we don't want to compromise and we want to be all in. And yet responsibilities and just life and busyness crowd in sometimes. And then occasionally we're reminded we want our life to count. And the same is true for us as a church too. Last week, we began this sort of mini-series as we emerge out of lockdown and we think about our position as a church and how we want to make a difference. We want our life as a church to count. And last week, uh, we outlined a few dates, a uh, few you may remember, uh, so last week and this week, if you haven't watched last Sunday's talk, can I encourage you to, because there's a kind of background for that. So last week and this week, we're kind of outlining some of the heartbeat of where we're at. Next week, we've got a generation service going to be rammed in here and then, well, rammed in a social distancing way, you know what I mean. Uh, and, but do join in online. And then on the 6th of June, we're going to be outlining 
the plan about the next stage for us as a church. So it's a really important Sunday. Please do book in or watch if you're able to and tell everyone else who you know is vaguely linked in with Riverside. And then we also mentioned a key date at the beginning of July. And this is for anyone that spotted it. This is a change from last week. This is now the correct date. Sunday, the 11th of July, we're calling Reunion Sunday, where we've got plans to be able to gather together in a way to worship, to pour out our hearts, because hopefully by then there will be no restrictions. Now, obviously, if government things change, we'll keep an eye on that. But at the moment, that's the plan, the 11th of July. And we reminded ourselves last week about our key verse, which is in Ezekiel chapter 47, this passage upon which Riverside is named, where a river flows and like a river that brings life wherever it goes, so too wherever the river flows, everything will live. That's our heartbeat as a church. We are Holy Spirit people and so therefore wherever we go, we go in the power of the Spirit bringing life in all its fullness. And so where we look at where God has placed us as a church, the unique things for Riverside, we want to bring life to every generation in every community. That's our heartbeat. And this phrase, bringing life to every generation in every community, It summarises, I think, what we are and where we are right now as a church. And there's two aspects that we're going to unpack briefly this morning from that passage that was read to us from Acts chapter 8. The context of that bit in the Bible is that Jesus has died and then appeared again, back to life. Incredible. And not some apparition, actually alive. Wow. And then he's gone back to be with his father. And then the Holy Spirit comes on that first day of Pentecost, empowering his Jesus followers. And they start speaking in other languages and they start seeing incredible things happening. The church is born, Pentecost. And because of all that, because these Holy Spirit empowered people are kind of now spreading like wildflower, everything goes ballistic. And then, of course, what happens is opposition starts crushing in as well. And then in Acts chapter 8, the Bible passage that we had read, we've got a moment where a guy called Philip is on the way from Jerusalem to Gaza, very contemporary at the moment. But then something important happens to somebody on the road. Verse 27 Philip started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, who was the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. It's important things to clock. Do you notice who this man is? He's a eunuch, a minority figure in the day. An outsider, both ethnically, he's an Ethiopian in Jerusalem, but also socially, he's a eunuch. And even though he was obviously high up in government, an important role for his queen, he would have been excluded in Jerusalem. He wouldn't have been able to go into the real kind of parts where all the Jews could go. But not only that, do you notice something else? He's a eunuch. (laughs) And that's important, as we'll see in a moment. And he is bamboozled because he's reading a bit of the Bible from the Old Testament that speaks looking forward to Jesus. 
And it speaks directly into this man's circumstances. Verse 32. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch is speaking, uh, reading, sorry, of someone who's been deprived of justice, who's been treated as an outsider and who has no descendants. And so therefore, as this Ethiopian guy is reading this, he would instantly resonate with somebody who has similar circumstances to him. And I think that story has something really important to us to say as Riverside and for all of us as individual. As we want to bring life to every generation in every community. Now, uh, we're not going to go into the biology of all this, but by definition, a eunuch doesn't have descendants. That's the point. (laughs) And so here he is reading about somebody who has no descendants. Because, of course, Jesus, as a single man, had no descendants. And can I point out the obvious? Here we are in 21st century Britain. Here in Birmingham or wherever we are watching around the world, we are part of Jesus' family. Jesus had no biological descendants, and yet now over 2.3 billion people are part of his family. And that's why it's so good that Radat, who read our Bible reading, a friend of Dave and Linda Isgrove and Graham Pierce through ICY Africa, an Ethiopian, is reading that bit of the Bible. Why? Because, of course, an Ethiopian eunuch who had no descendants, became gripped by Jesus. And then we know that the Ethiopian church became one of the first churches outside of Jerusalem. And so here we are in the 21st century, a modern contemporary Ethiopian actually following in the footsteps of somebody who had no descendants. In other words, we see our lives, God sees generations. We see just a lifestyle for now, and God sees a legacy that can live for generations way behind you. That Ethiopian guy would not have known that 20 centuries later, there would be a guy in Ethiopia reading about his story. And friends, if we as a church want to make a difference in our city, if we want to make a difference with our lives as individuals, we can start thinking in terms of generations. I think in the Western world, we tend to focus on my immediate life now. But I wonder if we need to start thinking of legacy. A Harvard anthropologist said this about our day to day. The great irony of our time is that even as we're living longer, we're thinking shorter. We live in the age of the tyranny of now. 
And you can see that with climate change, where younger generations are basically saying, why, why haven't you done anything before now? Or as Pope Francis said not too long ago, intergenerational solidarity is not optional, but is a basic question of justice. You may have heard of the name of a guy called John Wesley. John Wesley established Methodism, Methodist churches and so on. For anyone that he trained as Methodist ministers, they had to get involved in children's work in the church. This is what he said to them. Listen to these words. Where there are 10 children in a society, we must meet them at least an hour every week. Talk with them whenever we see any of them at home. Pray in earnest for them. Diligently instruct, instruct and vehemently exhort all parents at their own houses. Some will say, I have no gift for this. Gift or no gift, you are to do this or else you're not to be called a Methodist preacher. I was reading recently about the Svalbard Global Sea Vault. I don't know if you've heard about that. It's been established in Norway, right in the kind of northern tip, an island in the middle of kind of the sea. And it's a sea, a vault for seeds from all around the world that basically is set up so that whatever happens on the planet, seeds from all the plants in the world will be protected for thousands of years for future generations. Or we'll, of course, all seen the devastating pictures not too long ago of Notre Dame burning in flames. And what's so wonderful about how they're rebuilding it is they are using oak trees that were planted 150 years ago for the roof to put it back to how it was. The people who planted those oak trees will not have known the legacy of what they were doing with their lives. Friends... I wonder if a key moment for us as a church is to embrace the opportunities to think legacy. What impact can my life have for decades beyond me? And one of the joys about Riverside right now is we are a multi-generational church. And I wonder if we can start thinking, how do we always invest in the generations after me? Uh, it's not just in the way we live, it's in the way we lead as well. Uh, a well-known book by a guy called David Marquette. He was a submarine commander in America, and he'd worked out that what happened was a, a submarine used to go really well, and it was all very smooth and you know, well-respected and all that, and then the captain would leave, and then it would sort of kind of go downhill. I don't mean downhill, you don't have hills under the sea, you know what I mean. The quality of the ship would go downhill. And everyone would say how great a leader they were. And of course, his book called Turn the Ship Around is basically saying, wouldn't it be good if we started shifting to think great leadership is that the future generations take it on to the next level way beyond that particular leader. And for us as a church where we have multiple generations, we can always be passing the baton on so that every team we're involved with, we've got others coming up with us, so that all the time we're thinking of other generations beyond us. As Jesus said, his followers would do even greater things than him. Friends, as we want to bring life to every generation, 
We are so thankful for the decades of legacy already at Riverside. Let's fully embrace the multi-generational aspect. God has gifted us with a family. Whether you've got your own biological kids or not, we have a family. You have descendants to invest in so that for decades the world can be changed. Methods may change. The generation after you may do things very differently, but the mission doesn't. We get to live today for other people's tomorrow. So hosting a small group for kids or young people, getting involved in investing in their lives, learning from generations older than you, stepping out in your groups to impact the generations in your area. We learn from each other. We need each other so that we can keep on bringing life for generations. Think next, not just now. So generational living, but there's something else about the Ethiopian eunuch that's really important, and it's this. If I can state the obvious again, that up until now, all of the followers of Jesus were in Jerusalem in one area, but they were beginning to spread. And here we have a man who is from a completely different community. And we long as a church to bring life to our city, to every generation, in every community. This Acts 8 passage shows the beginnings of the diversity of Christianity. In that it's not just confined to one type of community or one particular people group, whatever. No, every person passed on to their community that they were part of. And so friends... Which community are you a part of? Or if you like, where is your local? I don't mean your local pub. I mean, it might be. That might be your community. But where do you think of my community? One of the wonderful things uh, during lockdown, I think, for many of us, has been we've started to connect in a deeper way where we live with the people around us, our neighbours, a WhatsApp group in our street, or whatever it might be. For us, uh, we, uh, when lockdown first started, went for a walk every day, and we went the same route. Uh, and we saw a family that we didn't really know, but we recognised, and I began to realise they were sort of kind of connected in with word of hands community. But we didn't know they lived very nearby, and as a result, we've become really good friends with them, all because we started focusing locally a bit more and able to build up relationships. That's true for many of us. And Riverside is a big church. It may not feel that at the moment because we can't get to see as many people. But we long to make a difference in the world that we are in. So where is your local? Who's your community? Now, by that word local, we don't just mean geography, your street. For some, your house is just your house. But your community is a particular group that you're connected with, a particular needs-based group or a particular interest thing that you're at or some sort of work scenario, whatever. Who is your community, your local? Because this came up time and time again in the survey that we've recently done as a church. Listen to some of what people said. Community-based activities are a great way to invite others to join in with, said somebody. 
Living with and involved with activities with neighbours is what I'm really excited about, said somebody else. My neighbours joining the monthly women who walk group, said somebody else. One-to-one relationships and new links with neighbours in our road through a range of activities that we've developed between us, together with closer general links through our road WhatsApp, said somebody. Our main opportunities are our neighbours, said somebody else. Somebody else said, greatly increased contact with neighbours through my street WhatsApp group and mini events. Somebody else said, I spend a good amount of time with people outside Riverside in social settings, going for a coffee or for a drink, sport, walk, cycling, chatting with neighbours. As I spend time with others, this provides opportunities to talk about what I'm doing. On and on and on. People said, this is my local, this is my world. And because we are full of the Holy Spirit, we want to make a difference with our life where we are. And practically, living locally is good, isn't it? Did you know? I read something amazing. Research shows that every £10 you spend in a local independent shop gives an additional £50 to the local community. Amazing. I don't know how that works. Apparently it does. But it also builds up relationships. I heard a wonderful story from somebody this week where this person, she happened to be in a position where she was in a setting where she was with a group of mums and one mum was really struggling. And she just happened to come across her. She didn't know her at a moment where she was really exhausted and really struggling. And this person kind of burst into tears and she was able to kind of chat with her and so on. But this person has now discovered that that woman who she didn't know, kind of lost touch, has now just moved in as a local neighbour. And this person said to her these words, I was so excited when I discovered that we're moving in near you because of that person and what had happened. Now, she was not doing anything different. She was just being her in her local world. And friends, the same is true for all of us. We have an opportunity where we are in our sphere. Blessing the world starts with blessing the people in front of us. It can be easy, can't it, if you're anything like me, to have such big dreams, to want to change the world, to want to make a real difference that we ignore the people literally right in front of us. So friends, what is the community that God has placed you in? For this next season? What might it look like to start praying every day for that community? What might it look like to pray every day for your street, for your club, for your colleague, for your local even? <laughs> Let me close with a couple of quotes. Two people in the survey said these things. This year, said one person, has seen me move away from inviting people to in-church spaces in whatever format that might take. And as a church, we've gone out into the community to meet people where they're at. This is being freeing, giving me more time to spend with unchurched friends and getting to know in the community to be able to build relationships and share my faith. And then one other person said this. I think we need to get people to engage with their communities, they said, using groups to reach people. It can feel like a lot of time and effort goes into physical church, and I know a lot of effort goes into online church too. But it can feel like just something you do, part of the routine. But I long to be more intentional for the future, to build me spiritually and to build community. 
I have so many amazing conversations and opportunities because of lockdown. I'd hate for us to lose this and become inward focused. Friends, on this Pentecost Sunday, what could it look like for you to pray every day, Holy Spirit, fill me and help me to make a difference in the community you have placed me in? What could it look like as our groups to say, we're going to pray and go all in? Holy Spirit, use us. And what would it look like for us as a church? To say, Lord, we want to bring life to every generation in every community across our city and beyond so that more and more people might discover the life of Jesus.